All right, we welcome you back. Praise God. We're going to be back in the book of Acts today. <coughs> back in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. Next Sunday is Memorial Day weekend, but it's also Pentecost Sunday, which means it is 50 days after Passover Easter time. And so uh, it is on the Feast of Pentecost that God would pour out his Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, prophesied by Joel, fulfilled in the New Testament there on uh, Pentecost as they waited and prayed in the upper room. So next Sunday, um, I am going to have some knee surgery here on Tuesday, so I don't know what kind of shape I am. You're really probably in for a treat if I'm still on my pain meds, but um, <laughs> no. Um, um, but I might, I might have to do the chair thing or something. But what we're thinking about doing since Pentecost Sunday is maybe doing a little more of a Q&A uh, for Pentecost Sunday. If you have a question about the Holy Spirit, um, so it can range from a couple different things, um, but if you have a question about that, I would take some time to address that, so... Um, so if you have a piece of paper, if you need a piece of paper, I will find some for you. But um, maybe you just type that out to me. You can also just email it to me, brent at Radiant Springs Church, brent at radiantspringschurch.com. You can email it to me, and uh, we'll get that, and we'll try to prepare for that, all right? So, um, so if you have any questions about whether it's tongues, whether it's the gifts of the Spirit, uh, what would be some other questions about that? Uh, you know, the gifts for today. Um, yeah. So if you have any questions about that, write them down. Don't make them too hard on me, okay? No. No, please please do. I, I um, So if anything registers there, write it down, and we'll try to address it to the best of our ability. All right? All right. I like the book of Acts. I think it's been a good series for our church. And I think um, just churches are struggling after COVID. So I think we're, what, are we three years out of COVID? Uh, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. Um, but I think it, it did change some things for good, some things for the bad. I think when you look at the church, I think some, in some ways it caused people to pull back. And, you know, how many are still when you're in line someplace waiting at a register or something like that, you're still standing six feet apart? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're still seeing people with masks and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that's here nor, nor there. But it, it was with us long enough that it did change us. And I think when it, in regards to the church, sometimes it kind of caused us to pull back from being involved. And um, I, I see that not as a good thing for the most part. I think if we were too busy, there, I think there was some healthy things there to cause us to assess things. But as far as just being involved in the church and using our gifts and our time, our talent for God, I think um, we, we need to be engaged, folks. Uh, th we are the church. You know, um, the church is only going to advance as God's people are filled with his spirit and are involved in our world. Amen? That, that's the only way it happens. So, um, and we see that in the book of Acts where things ideal there. They didn't have COVID, but they had a thing called persecution, right? 
And you see that throughout the book of Acts. Things are pretty cool, but even, even at, on Pentecost, there's resistance to that. And, but the 3,000 get saved, and then we know, you read a little bit further, 5,000 are now part of the church. The church is adding to their number daily. Uh, God's doing some incredible miracles. A man crippled from birth is able to leap, dance, and praise God. That's Acts chapter 3. We see Peter take the gospel to the uh, Cornelius, a Gentile. And then we see Philip take the gospel to Samaria, but that's because of persecution. Persecution came through Saul. And we see that Stephen is stoned, he's killed. And so then the church is scattered. So that's why Philip ends up in Samaria to the north. But we also see then Acts 1a being fulfilled. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea is a little bit bigger, kind of like the state of Nebraska. And Samaria, that would be um, the people that aren't like us, all right? And then to the ends of the earth, all right? And now we're starting to see Paul go out and do those the missionary journeys. He does three of them. And so we've kind of already covered the first one. Today they're going to give a report. So we're going to look at Acts 15 where they give a report of what happened on their first missionary journey. So Jews and Gentiles come to the Lord and uh, find God. All right. And I just totally got away from my notes here, so I'm going to make sure I'm not uh, finishing. So they're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to give a report of what God has done, the conversions, the departure of John Mark, and the Jews and Gentiles that have come to know Christ. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about is that in this passage, we're going to see that there's conflict in the church. Okay? Conflict in the church. And sometimes when you're writing things to people and you're giving an account, sometimes you have the privilege to include the things you want to include, right? Say you're a newspaper writer. We see that in the news today all the time, that they include things that they want to include and things that they don't want to include, right? Because you're the writer, you're the reporter. Luke could have just said, hey, you know what, he could have reported some of the things. He could have totally left out the tension and the conflict. We see that in Acts chapter 7 where the, the Hellenistic Jews, the widows, were being overlooked. And so that was when they appoint Stephen and Philip, the seven, to wait on tables. But here's another case where there is conflict. So the conflict is coming because God is doing some great things and Gentiles are getting saved. That's where the tension and the conflict is coming from. God's saving Gentiles, people that aren't like us, right? They don't have the same customs. They don't have that same moral structure that the Jewish people had, right? Some of them came from some pretty rough backgrounds. And God was saving them. And now you, you bring these people together all in one place to worship and to share a meal together. They have dis different customs, right? How do we fellowship together? How do you do that with unity and not have conflict? Right? So it's important that Luke has the willingness to not just record the church's successes, but he also re records the struggles and the conflicts. All right? All right. So let's look at Acts chapter 15, and when we do here, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God, that it is able to change and transform us, Lord God, and speak to us this very day. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would come, fill this place, give us an open heart to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to your church. 
We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Let's look at Acts 15, verse 1. Let's read this together, and we're going to stop a few places here and just make some comments. But certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So circumcision is something that uh, in our culture that is, I would say, largely practiced, but it is not practiced for the reasons that we see here. All right. It, it stemmed from the Jewish people. Abraham would be the first one. God says, I'm calling you and setting you apart. He was circumcised. Right. And we see that then throughout the Jewish males that they would be circumcised when they were young. Jesus himself was circumcised. All right. Um, but now you have these Gentiles that are getting saved and they're not they are not circumcised. And so they're heathens. Right. They're heathens. Um, and circumcision was so tightly linked to the religious experience of the Jewish people that for them to get their mind wrapped around that somebody could be saved without being circumcised was a pretty hard concept. All right? And you may think, well, that, you know, circumcision, that's not an issue today. But we have other things that um, maybe it could do with worship style, how their service is done on a Sunday or maybe they meet on a Saturday and it's kind of like, man, there's no way that they could be a Christian, right? Um, yeah. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into such a sharp dispute. That's another word saying, hey, there's conflict, right? In the church. And so they, uh, and they debated them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed in, along with some of the other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders. So that's... James and Peter and, and some of the other disciples there about th this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, so Antioch was up in the north, and now we're coming down to the southern part of Israel, okay, to Jerusalem. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. So as they go, they're telling other believers, other churches, on um, these home churches of what God has been doing. This news made all the believers very glad. And they came to Jerusalem, and they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had done to them. So everything starts off really good here, all right? And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. I think they're, they're doing this thing, right? They're pretty firm in that. They have to do this to be saved. You know, the Jesus Revolution, if you haven't watched that, you can probably find it now on Amazon Prime or Netflix or something like that. But the topic there was, right, the, the hippies are getting saved, right? And so they're coming into churches. They don't have long hair. They're not wearing shoes, all these different things. And, and, and they wrestle with that. There's no way that somebody could be saved if they don't wear their suit and tie, right? And what I always... Uh, get a kick out of is when Africans come over to the United States that have been saved over there, they come over here and we're all casual and they're in their suit and tie. Well, they, that wasn't part of their original dress. Some of those early missionaries, right, that was part of the Christianity. Hey, if you're going to be a pastor or a Christian, you're going to have to put on the suit and tie. It almost became synonymous. And so um, it's just cultural things that we sometimes pass on that we think are important. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And he said, brothers, you know 
that some time ago God made the choice that you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So Peter's referring back to Cornelius. So God gives him the vision, the unclean animals, three times. He goes to Cornelius' house. He was a Gentile centurion. He gets saved, and him and his whole family and all that is gathered under his house. Not only are they saved, but to, to even highlight that they are saved, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in other tongues, other languages. And, and so there's no question, not only are they saved, but they are filled in the Holy Spirit just like the believers on the day of Pentecost. And it was a strong sign to the Jewish believers there saying, you know what, God must also be wanting to save the Gentiles. I think they believed that God had called them to be a witness to the whole world, but that did not include the Gentiles, okay? And you have to get, we have to understand their backdrop, and maybe we even have some of those things today where God has called us to the world, but maybe he hasn't called us to that neighbor that we cannot handle or tolerate. Or maybe that race of people that we have issues with. We would never have that in the church, but I can guarantee you it does exist in some places, right? Brothers, um, let's go to verse 8. It says, God knows the heart. He showed us and he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. So not, we're not only just talking about the Ten Commandments here. We're talking about the Law of Moses. We're even talking about things that had been added on to the teachings of God. All right? And Jesus would address that. He said, you know, take upon me my yoke, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Right? And they had added other stipulations, other customs, other rules that the people had to follow above and beyond what God had called them to. He says, if we haven't been able to carry it, how in the world are we expecting the Gentile believers to do this? Verse 11, we believe that it is through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. You should have that underlined. Verse 12, then the whole assembly uh, was silent as they listened to Barnabas, Paul telling them of the signs and wonders. Maybe they told about the sorcerer that was blinded and how the, the governor was saved. And, um, but how God had been glorified through the Gentiles. In verse 13, when they uh, had finished James, so this is not James um, the apostle. He has been beheaded. He was killed. No, he was killed by the sword. He wasn't beheaded. He was killed by the sword. So this is James, the brother of Jesus. And he would write the, the letter of James as well. Brothers, he said, listen to me. He would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Simon has described to us how God first intervene to choose a people for the name from the Gentiles. And so that's one of the things that we need to catch is that the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people, but they were chosen just like you and I to be a light to the rest of the world around them. It wasn't that God was only going to save the Jewish people, but they were to be a people that were set apart to demonstrate, to be a testimony to the world around of God's goodness, his greatness. And the same thing applies to you and us today. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, Peter says, called apart, called out of this world to declare the praises of God. All right? Verse 15, the words of the prophet are in agreement with this, and as is written, so this is from Amos, one of the minor promise, uh, prophets. 
9, 11 through 12. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will be, I will rebuild and I will restore it. And the rest of mankind will seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. So throughout the Old Testament, it is very clear that God is calling the Gentiles. They are part of his plan. The Jews have just overlooked that. You know, it's amazing how we can have selective reading at times. You ever been guilty of that? Right? You know, your spouse says, you know, did you do this? Oh, man, I don't remember you saying that at all. Right? We have selective hearing. The kids, too. Kids would never do that. Right, Christopher? Never, never, never. All right. Things we have known from long ago. Verse 18 there. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We don't want to place anything on them that is not necessary that's going to make it more difficult. Hey, if you're going to come to church, you need to have sh- you need to be showered, you're shaved, you have to put on your Sunday best, right? Now, I will appreciate the shower, but, you know, it's <laughs> all the people next to you, but all right. We won't go there. It's verse 20. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from four different things. Food polluted by idols. Um, so this would have to do with uh, meat, animals that have been sacrificed at a secular heathen temple. Okay, very common in Ephesus and Corinth and some of those places. And then the meat then would be taken to the market and people would buy it, right? And for some people, that was a huge thing to think, you know what, I'm eating meat that was sacrificed to that heathen god. That would be just that would just really throw people over the edge. Some people, other people, it's kind of like, well, they're just a false god. Who cares? It's meat. It's ribeye, right? Right? Ribeye is ribeye, right? All right. Um, to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual morality, that includes, it's a pretty broad term, okay? Um, and I'll talk more about that. From meat strangled animals and from blood. So those really had to do with just how the Jewish sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament, how they handled the blood, that the blood was sacred. It represented, it would represent Christ's blood that would be shed for us. And so um, some of the practices in the Gentile world, you know, they, they didn't have issues with that. The Jewish people did. Verse 21, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city in the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay. And uh, we're not sure why James includes that. All right. Then the apostles and elders and the whole church, they put the letter together here. All right. They write it out. They send it back with Judas and Silas. Okay. I'm going to summarize those next few verses there. Um, And in verse 28, Chris, if you can put that up, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burn you with anything beyond the following requirements. He repeats those um, to abstain from food sacrificed to idols from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual morality. And verse 30, so when the men went, were sent off, they went to Antioch where they gathered church together, d- delivered the letter, and the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. And Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those that had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. And they taught and they preached. And then they'll go on a second missionary journey. All right. Those first two demands, okay, so from the, to abstain from the food polluted by idols and sexual immorality were very common, okay, amongst the Gentiles. 
idolatry. Um, most of those communities in Ephesus and Corinth, um, a lot of temples and very heathen. Some of even the Greek gods, you know, that you see in the movies today stem back before then and were part of the worship back then. All right. The, uh, so they re- they dealt with kind of sins that were issue, idolatry and sexual immorality. The other two, the blood of strangled animals and just from blood itself had to do more with um, just fellowship. So if Gentile believers and Jewish believers were to sit down at a meal at a family feast on our Sunday, right? And, you know, you had uh, meat that had been strangled, you would be really offending the Jewish believer, right? Now, the Gentile believer might not have any issues with it, but the Jewish believer would. And it would be an issue of contention. So those two things had to do with um, fellowship. And so there, there was going to have to be some compromise here. And so I want to uh, just look at how did they c- go through this difficult conflict? How could they find unity with all this diversity? So if you're taking notes, you can take notes. First of all, we are saved by faith by grace through faith alone. That is the common thing that all believers have in common, right? Whether you're in America or a different part of the world, whether I don't care what kind of race, um, I don't care if you're Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopal, Assemblies of God, Charismatic, okay? What unites us is our faith in Christ that we are saved by grace through faith. If that is the case and you agree on that, you have unity. Are you hearing me? We have unity. Now, we may have all different practices. We may sing different songs, right? Um, we may have different traditions within the church, and some of them may you may be very beneficial to you. Maybe you like more of a liturgical church. That's great. If, if they preach Christ and that Jesus Christ through him by faith and grace, hey, right? And, and so we have to, that is one of the key things for unity, not just within our passage here, but unity in general is that if you have to focus on the main things, right? Right? You have to find the thing that unifies you and brings you together. Now, an example of this is that America can be pretty uh, divided at times, and that would be described, I think, right now you hear that conversation, right, that America is very divided. Now, I'd never want us to go to war, but... Whenever America has gone to war, we've been united, right? Why? Because it is the thing that is uniting us for protecting the country. And in fact, in World War One and World War Two, like Native, uh, not Native Americans, but African Americans often were kind of kept out. But in our wars, all of a sudden we saw the value, and it really helped to facilitate making America and bringing them into the other parts of society, right? There was unity because we agreed upon a common thing. And that's what they did here. Peter and James and and Paul and Barnabas, they realized, you know what? The one thing we have in common is that we're saved by grace through faith alone. And Paul repeats that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says it is for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. So that really addresses um, from the Jewish mindset, God had given them regulations and guidelines to live by. And, and the danger of those things is that it w- easily became a matter of self-righteousness. Because I do these things, I dress a certain way, 
I do these certain different things, these practices. I am more spiritual than that Gentile that doesn't do that. I have these robes on. I, I make the sacrifices at the temple. And you get the feeling there? And so it becomes a matter of uh, self-righteousness. And Paul says, you know what? We're all saved by grace through faith. That is where we get our righteousness. It's not because of these other things. Verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So was there a purpose in the Old Testament sacrifices and for all the things that God called those people to do? Absolutely. He called them out for the wor- from the world to be separated and to be different, to be distinct. All right? And the sacrifices, think about Jesus dying on the cross. Would that be meaningful if you wouldn't have the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrifices? I don't think it would be. It is through the Old Testament sacrifices that we understand that there's a penalty for sin and that life must be given to satisfy the consequences of sin. And so then ultimately when Jesus dies on the cross, it's kind of like, oh, we understand that Jesus satisfied our debts that we could not pay. He took our sin upon himself when he went to the cross. Amen? Now, one of the great figures in, in history that wrestled with this was, Chris knows whose it is. You can put the picture up there, Chris. Anybody know who this is? Come on, my Lutheran people. <laughs> Martin Luther, right? All right. Um, Martin Luther, 1500s, right? He would struggle with this. No matter what he did, he did not feel holy and pure before God. He wrestled with this. He even flogged himself. He would pray on, on a stone or hardwood floor with no padding. He would pray that way. He denied himself sleep. No matter what he did, he still did not feel like he was pure, righteous, and holy before God. He wrestled with that. Um, until as he was reading through the book of Romans, and it, it just hit him. I'm saved by grace through faith alone. It's kind of like all of a sudden he read that, and it's like it really hit him. It's kind of like, you know, I'm doing all this stuff to be pure and holy before God, and, and here it's just so clear it's by grace and through faith in him that is how i'm made pure i'm made holy it's not because of anything else that i do right that revolutionizes his life it started a reformation he got excommunicated right and he had the beginning of the protestant movement you know they protested right protestant movement um, and then out of there you have you know you have the the different you have the different Protestant denominations. You know, Assemblies of God would be later, but you would have the Wesleyan and Arminians and the other groups that would come out of there, the Calvinists. All right. But we are saved by grace through faith alone. That is the first thing. Number two, we are all called to sexual purity. Um, if you go into the Leviticus and you read some of the passages there, it gets a pretty long list. It's kind of like, ooh, I don't even really want to know this, right? Right, um, but God has called us to sexual purity. Sexual morality is a broad term. Um, the Greek word is porneia, so we get our our English word pornography from there, right? So it's a broad term, but it refers to sex outside the marriage relationship between a husband and wife within that commitment. All right, so it would it would 
premarital sex you can throw in there, adultery, sex with a prostitute, which is, you know, probably could be adultery. I guess it wouldn't have to be if you're not married. Um, I believe it, it, it involves even exposing ourselves to sexually explicit material, right? Um, you know, that is a little more of a challenge in our day and age, is it not? Um, you know, when I was young, you had to go to the, the hard, not the hardware store, but the variety store there down on Main Street. And even then, it was behind the counter, right? Um, today, you know, you just have to be careful even on social media that you have to what you expose yourself to. Um, but I think it even involves that. If you get into Leviticus there, and even talk sexual immorality, um, having sex with somebody that is a close relative, you know, uh, sister, mom, close relative, uh, other living beings, not aliens, okay. Um, and sexual immorality was a huge problem back in Paul's world as he went into these Gentile communities. It was like there was no right and wrong. In fact, some of the temples would promote it. Okay, some of the Greek gods were, were, were fertility gods, all right? You went there, so not only for your livestock and your crops, but also for your families. And, and so people would give in to that. There would be prostitutes in these temples, and people would go and sleep with them, all in the hopes that it was part of their worship. And, and things like that. And so that is the context that Paul would go into. Not much like, off in much different than from today. But we know that in Ephesus, one of the greatest moves of God took place in Ephesus. And I believe God can still do that in our communities today. Amen? Um, the culture was sexualized just like ours. There was prostitution. There was homosexuality. There was orgies. Paul deals with all that. He deals with all that. And those things still happen in our world today. It was in Corinth that Paul would have to write a pretty stern letter. You can look that up this afternoon, 1 Corinthians 5.1. But they had somebody in the church, the man was sleeping with his father's wife. Okay, um, And so, and they were okay with that. They weren't addressing it. And so Paul writes them, hey, that's where we get the word, kick him out of the church, excommunicate him, right? Um, and so he deals with that, I believe, in first and second. This is what Paul has to say about sexual sin. First um, Corinthians six twelve through twenty. I want to take us there, and I, I'm going to keep moving along here. But he says, "I have the right to do anything you say, but everything is beneficial." So that was the mindset in some of the Greek cultures. Okay, this idea that hey, because I'm saved by grace. And some of the philosophical influences in those areas, they said, hey, I can do anything, right? I have the right to do anything I want, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. You say food for the stomach, stomach for the food, God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will also raise us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So in other words, he's going to, well, I'm going to just let him, Paul explain it here. Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? 
Never. I do not. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? So the two become one. For it says that the two become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in the spirit. So that is the problem. We Christ, when we come to know Christ and he's in our heart, right? The moment of salvation, he is, we are one with Christ. He is living within us. But if we unite ourselves with somebody that is not our spouse, there again, we're uniting with them in body. You see the issue? And we're dragging God into that. Are you getting that? Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. That's what Joseph did, right? All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So we use that phrase a lot. This is where it's found. Who is in you, whom you've received from God, but you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I always say honor God with your bod, okay? All right? There is a difference there. And so is there a difference in sins? Are all sins alike? No, they're not. There are some sins that have greater consequences, folks. And Paul seems to make that issue with sexual sin because other sins don't involve us being united with another person. Um, And through that sexual relationship, there is something divine that happens there. And by doing that, we, we pollute our relationship with God as well. All right? If you go back up, verses 9 and 11 in that same chapter, there is hope. Now, if, if you're young, if you're young and your life is before you, honor God with your body. Honor his ways and your life will be blessed. That's hard to do that in our culture. You're not going to have a lot of people that are going to be on the same road with you. But I challenge you to do that. Christopher, you're here. Okay. We've got some young people here. Olivia. Yes. Honor God with your life. Trust him. Now, some of you say, man, I have a past. I, uh, you know, I came to know Christ and I made mistakes. All you can do is choose to live from that moment forward for God and give him your best. Amen. And that's what happened. That's what happened in Corinth here. Verse nine, it says, do you not know what wrongdoers they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now he's going to list some sins that of those who won't enter the kingdom of God. Do not be s- deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, so sexual sin, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Idolaters, okay, worship other gods. Adulterers, not faithful to your spouse. Men who have sex with men, homosexuality. Thieves, okay, you take stuff that is not yours. Greedy, whoa, greedy aren't going to enter the kingdom of God. Drunkards, okay? The addiction there. Slanderers, you tear down other people with your words. Swindlers, you got a good tongue and you can swindle people out of stuff. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Ooh, Paul, right? But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Amen? They've been purified. They've been made holy because of what God had done. So if you have a past, there's hope, right? We are saved by grace through faith alone.
and we're made purified. Number three, we need to land the plane here. We are called to unity with other believers. That is the big thing. That means that we agree on the essentials. What's the essential within the body of Christ? It is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. That is one of the big things that um, we have to agree on. Now, you look at other denominations. They may have different doctrinal statements. Amy and I were at an ordination service here a month ago or two. And their doctrine, their doctrine was pretty short because they, they, they value unity. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, they just have you know, a few short things there. And uh, they keep it short, right? Ours is, we have 16 fundamental truths that are important to us. But you have to agree on the essentials. Um, and you have to compromise on the non-essentials. All right? There's some things that we can compromise on, but some things that we can't, such as that we are saved by grace and faith alone. So in the guidelines for the early church, there were some accommodations that they were going to be making, right? For the Jewish people, the big one was, hey, we are going to, the Gentiles were going to abstain from the, the blood and the, the sacrifices, sexual morality. But where the Jewish people had to compromise was, hey, I am willing to fellowship and be with the person that is not circumcised. And that may not seem like a big thing for you at all, right? But for them it was because of how they had been raised and their cultural traditions, all right? By doing so, a Gentile believer was a respecting the Jewish people and the Jewish person was respecting what God had done in the Gentile believer. Now, are there some examples that maybe apply better to us today? Well, meat sacrifice to idols, I, you know, that still happens in some countries, right? Um, I don't see it as much here today. Alcohol, Paul does deal with alcohol. Um, I was raised that alcohol, man, I, I was raised that, man, if I had a drink, I was going to hell, right? Now, as a pastor, I don't believe that. The assembly positioned is abstinence, so it sees that, yeah, it's probably not sinful, but it, there is some wisdom in the abstinence, and one, you keep yourself from addiction, but also, if I'm with other believers in Christ that maybe have come out of a lifestyle with alcohol, I'm not going to offend them, right? Or maybe they have those same convictions that they, they don't want to drink, Um now you go to Europe, th they practice things different over there, all right? Um, so you have to, as a believer, I never force my rights upon other people, right? You have to respect those things. And that's what Paul's saying, focus in on the main things, that's where you find unity. The peripheral things, um, you need to let slide. We've had people that have sought out. So as a minister, you're not, you, you can't have, you can't drink, okay, um, within the assemblies of God. And we've had some people that I believe met all the qualifications, but they weren't willing to give that up. And and that's their right. That is their prerogative. That is their prerogative. But for me, that is not a big enough issue, okay, that I'm going to say, hey, I'm not going to follow Christ because of that. Does that make sense? To me, that's not worth dying for. All right. My faith in Christ is, all right? This was a major meeting for the early church, and God navigated it through, uh, gave them the wisdom to navigate through it, amen? I'm going to have the musicians come. You ever think about what heaven's going to be like? I don't think it's going to be all white, right? 
Everybody speak in English. Going to be people from every nation, race, tongue, and tribe. You know, um, worship will look different. You know, you're going to have the Scandinavians. They're just going to be like this, right? That's why they were up in North Dakota. They're pretty, a little more reserved. Even in Nebraska, we're a little more reserved, right? Now, we're going to have the Africans there, the Zulus. What do they do, Christy? Yeah, they, they jump. Some of them, they, they're jumping. That's their part of their worship, right? Right? Heaven is going to be a... It's going to look really different. But what's going to make it beautiful is that, one, we've all been saved by God's grace through faith. That's going to be the thing we have in common. We called out to Him. And Luke records what the church called them to do, to be pure in the world and to focus on the main things. In some of my classes at Regent University, so that's been a few years now. That was started, what, in 16 is where I started and finished up in 20. But I had classes, so in my classroom, there'd be Charismatics, there'd be Pentecostals, there'd be Lutherans, there'd be Episcopals, Baptists, Seventh-day Adventists, non-denominational. There was probably others. But we prayed together, we worshiped together, we fellowshiped together, we laughed together. We learn together. Why? Because we all believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a it was a very beneficial time for me. I remember Michael. I still stay in contact with him on social media. But Michael is a Navy chaplain. He's Seventh Day Adventist. Um, but I he was in one of my classes, and I talked about I wanted to go to one of the naval bases in Norfolk because we're stationed there in Norfolk and. There's a monument there to the USS Cole, okay? If you remember, the USS Cole was attacked by this, it was a terrorist attack. It was an inflatable boat filled with explosives. They ran into the side of the ship, exploded, and I think there were seven-ish people that were killed. One of those people I knew as when I was a young person. Uh, he was a couple years younger than me. His name was Kevin Rucks. And uh, he was a cook, I believe, on there. He had been in the military like seven, eight years. Uh, but his life was taken. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to be there. It'd be cool to go see that. But because of 9-11, you can no longer get close enough. It was too far into the, the naval base there that you didn't have civilian access. And he goes, I'll take you in there. And so then he goes, I know where it's at. And so he, you know, he had his pass. And so we went in there. And, and he also, sh you know, took me to three of the five bases that are there in Norfolk and just we had lunch together and got to see the Mercy ship before it was going to Puerto Rico so that's where Wendy by um, uh, Christy's daughter has been serving as a chaplain Navy chaplain as well and so I got to see the ships and all those things it was pretty cool had a great time of fellowship with him I remember Robert Robert's African-American charismatic but we had some really good fellowship and conversations together. I remember Sister Crabtree. She was one of my professors, but she had an Episcopal background, a lot different from the Assemblies of God, okay? Uh, but she'd been touched by the charismatic renewal movement in the 70s. Um, she forever changed how I looked at communion and just the symbolism that is there. 
um, I've really found pretty meaningful. All these people impacted my life. They're part of the body of Christ. We may worship differently. We may observe things differently, but we have one thing in common, that was Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Would you stand this morning? believers there at the Jerusalem Council call us to do a few things. One, to know Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior by grace through faith, you need to place your faith in Him. Maybe you're watching this morning. Maybe you're here. I'm going to lead us in a prayer to do that. But also God has called us to be pure. The world back then when this is being written was not a perfect place, folks. And our world is not a perfect place today. And so God still calls us to purity, to be righteous, and to be holy by His grace, but also to live a godly life that glorifies Him. Amen? And so I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And would you just have a heart that is open to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning? Father, this morning as we come to You, You said if we place our faith in You, you would save us, Lord God. You'd come into our heart. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you said we would be saved, Lord. And Lord God, if that is us this morning, we can pray that prayer. We can make that our own. We can know that our sins are forgiven. We can be set free from the weight that is upon us and the things of the past. You've promised to come and to cleanse us and purify us and to make us white as snow. So if that's us today, let's do that. And Lord God, I pray for your people, Lord God. Um, you've called us to be a glorious church, to be called out. We're separate. We're called out ones from the world. Just as the Jewish people were to be called out and to be separate, your church is the called out ones. Lord God, and that means that we're called, we're set apart for you, for your purposes. Lord God, how we use our body and how we live our lives matters, Lord God. Our life is a witness. People are watching us more than we realize without even saying a word. And Lord God, let our lives reflect your glory. Let it reflect the purpose within our heart, Lord God. May they see the treasure that is in these earthen jars, these earthen vessels. May the glory and the light of Christ shine out of our life. Oh God, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Praise God. Let's sing this song together this morning. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. You know, this message you can take and apply in a lot of different ways. You know, I talked about denominations, but, you know, maybe you have people in your life, you're Republican and they're Democrat. Oh, can those Christians have fellowship together? Absolutely. You're not a, you're a citizen of heaven first, citizen of this country next. Yeah. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I hope you can have good fellowship. Hey, God bless you this morning. Take time to greet each other as you leave. And next week, talking about Pentecost Sunday. So if you have a question that you want to stump me with or just have a question you really want to know, 
Would you write that out and send me an email? Brent at RadiantSprings.com or you can tell it to me, whatever. But God bless you this morning.